This is the Business and Leadership Podcast with Jared Graybeal. Hey guys, welcome back to the Business and Leadership Podcast. This is your host, Jared Grabiel, and you are tuning in to Season 2, Episode 5, where we're going to talk about how to acquire an ownership mentality. So before we jump into the episode, I um, just want to remind you guys a couple quick things. If you enjoy the podcast, uh, please make sure to share it wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, you can share it onto your Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, wherever it is, um, just to let people know. Uh, of course, if the information is valuable to you, then it's most likely going to help at least one person that you know. And then, of course, if you enjoy the show, please make sure to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Now that that's out of the way, um, I had a thought recently, and that's what brought me to recording uh, this podcast is, you know, how do you perform at the highest level within any organization or really in any scenario in life. And, you know, the this coronavirus pandemic, of course, has us all thinking probably about a lot of things. Um, and this is just one of those things that I was thinking about. You know, how do you perform at the highest level despite crisis or despite a pandemic? And, and then just in general, because I think these principles are going to apply no matter what. I think they're timeless. Um, but the answer to that question, uh, I believe, is simply to act and think like an owner. So when you look at any organization, the highest performing employee is, especially in small businesses or small teams, is usually the owner, with the exception of irresponsible or immature leaders. Um, now, why is that? I think it's because you know every good leader or owner knows that everything rises and falls on them. When things don't go the right way, it's the boss who has to take the hit and fix it, or simply he or she will fail. Now, this is oftentimes why most ambitious or type A leaders are also micromanagers or workaholics. They haven't built the right team, or they probably haven't found the right people they can count on, so they end up doing most of the work themselves. Now, the quote-unquote, if you want to do something right, you got to do it yourself, or if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself, mentality is actually really unhealthy, and it's impractical as you grow a company. So if you work for an exceptional leader, the best thing that you can do for him or her and for your team, as well as yourself, is simply to act and think like an owner. No, I'm sure you're probably maybe rolling your eyes or thinking in the back of your mind, like that's easy for you to say, Jared, because you are an owner. And yes, I am an owner, right? I own um, the businesses that I operate, but I also work for a couple different people and I do consulting. And really as a consultant, you're working for other people and I've got a track record of high performance in the past where I've done really, really well as long as I'm in a position where I'm empowered to be successful, I can look back on my own experiences and there was this one time um, shortly after I got out of jail 12 years ago and I was working for 825 an hour in a screen printing warehouse. Absolutely hated the job. It's one of the, I look back and I'm embarrassed because how bad I did at it and it was such an easy monotonous job, but I hated it so much I did bad. And so this is one of those instances where I certainly didn't have an ownership mentality but as I found my passion for fitness and as I started working for health clubs, I went into work every single day in the gym, whether I was training or doing membership sales, 
and I had an ownership mentality. I wanted to reach the goals that were set in front of me because I wanted to make a good living, but I wanted to make myself proud and the organization proud. So if you're in the position right now where you're saying, Jared, I, I don't want to think and act like an owner because I truly don't care about where I work, then side note, you probably need to find something different. However, if you're in a position where you're empowered to do something that you're passionate about and something that you can make money and fulfill a purpose and help other people, it is your responsibility to think and act like an owner, despite whether or not you have ownership in this company, because whatever you do now builds that company and you will be rewarded, whether or not it's by this company or from those experiences that you get to carry on to the next company. So you have to think outwardly and about the organization and about the other people that you're impacting when you think and act like an owner. So back to the teaching. How do we acquire an ownership mentality when we aren't the owner? Step one out of five steps today. Always ask, what would, enter your boss's name or the owner's name, do? Right? It's like the, the bracelets that some of us wear, right? WWJD. What would Jesus do? Right? But think about your business. And sometimes in my company, I, I simply tell them when, when somebody will ask me a question, say, what should I do here? I say, well, what do you think that I would do? Because that's what I'm going to tell you to do. And then they'll guess a couple things and they're usually right. So a lot of times we can answer our own questions and simply ask, what would blank do? And enter the, your, your leader or your boss's name and then move accordingly, right? So assuming you work for someone that you respect and you believe in, this simple question should oftentimes lead you to the right answer. And if that doesn't work, then try this. Something that I always ask myself before I respond to hard questions or do hard things is, what would a smart person do in this situation? Because I'll be honest, a lot of times I don't look at myself as a smart or wise person. In retrospect, I can see that I make some good decisions from time to time, but I also make some pretty bad ones. So a lot of times I have to take a step back and say, what would a smart person do in this situation? And then I'll even picture somebody that I know that's smart in this particular field, and I'll just do what I believe that they would do. And this practice helps me step outside of myself and look at myself objectively from a third person point of view. I often will imagine being like, you know, if this is a relational thing and I've got a buddy that's really good at relationships, I'll ask myself, what would he do? If this is a financial thing, I'll picture someone that I know that's really good with their money and I'll say, what would he do or she, right? And so I just move forward accordingly. Now, if you're too uncomfortable moving forward with a decision, simply ask the owner and make sure to give context. I'm a big believer in the worst questions are the ones that you didn't ask. So if you've done the work and you still haven't found a solution, practice quality communication and go straight to the source. Step two, never stop learning. We've all heard this before and there's a reason why every iconic leader has ever said leaders are learners. But what are those reasons? Well, for one, your brain is a muscle. Although it's much different than your biceps, it still needs to be flexed. Neuroscience proves that if you don't work it out, per se, then it can atrophy. So in other words, if you don't use it, you lose it. Now, secondly, the more you know, the more valuable you become. In my experience, new employees are the most ambitious and eager to learn since they have a fresh opportunity. Now, over time, and not necessarily with everyone, 
people can become complacent. In my company, I reward results and creativity over tenure all day. You know, in my opinion, the fact that you've been with a company a long time only says that you were able to do the bare minimum. If you're able to grow and advance within an organization, that shows me that you're always adding value. The easiest way to add value is to by regularly increase your level of competency. If for nothing else, but just to make more money, that should, that alone should motivate you. But aside from that, you're able to contribute more value. And at the end of the day, that I believe that's why we're truly fulfilled in certain opportunities. So additionally, you know, more information can spark innovation and creativity. People get bored easily and usually expect others to enhance their experience, whether it's expecting your boss to make work more fun or always counting on your coworkers for the next big idea. But by learning more, you will inevitably be inspired with new ideas that lead to positive changes within your company. Lastly, increasing your level of competence is not only an attractive quality as an employee, but as a leader, which means if you have an ambition to be the type of leader that people want to follow, then you, you need to constantly grow. So how do you start learning? Like, What are some good ways to start learning? I've written down five or I've recorded five. Number one, subscribe to valuable newsletters and blogs. I personally, I love the New York Times, I love Morning Brew, and I love the Harvard Business Review. Check those out. Again, New York Times, Morning Brew, and the Harvard Business Review. Also, I follow companies like Inc.com, Entrepreneur.com, and companies like that on Twitter, and I'll read the short-form blogs they post from time to time. The second thing is I read books, which is pretty practical. But I try to switch from fiction and nonfiction each time just to flex my creativity muscle and not get bored. The third thing is listen to podcasts. Some of my favorite personally are anything from NPR, like How I Built This or Hidden Brain, uh, Business Casual, which is a morning brew podcast, and the Craig Groeschel Leadership Podcast. Those are a few of my favorites. I bounce around to a lot of other podcasts, but those I've been consistent with over the years. Number four, surround yourself with people at or above your level of competency in different areas of expertise and try to stay in touch with different mentors. The last thing is number five, you gotta teach. Don't just store everything in your head and assume that you'll remember it later on or write it down in your notes and never revisit it because they have no value there. The point of acquiring more knowledge is to spread it. So tell people what you're learning. Also, It's proven that the best way to store information in your long-term memory is to teach it, even if you're not an expert. That's how you become an expert. I like to practice teaching by doing a couple things. I like to write blogs. I like to publish podcasts, which is usually me writing a blog and then reading that blog to a podcast like I'm doing right now. I like to post short-form blogs on social media, like Instagram mainly. And then regular meetings with my team at work at Superfit Foods every Wednesday over the past, I don't know, four years, we have what's called a leadership teaching where each one of us rotate and we do a 10 to 15 minute teaching on a topic that we've been inspired by in the last week or so. Um, Most of it is relevant to leadership and it's a great opportunity for everyone to flex their teaching muscle, even though we're not in this scrutinizing, you know, pressure filled public speaking environment. There's three or four of us in a meeting. So practice learning by teaching. Now, the third way to act and think like an owner is to count the cost of every decision. 
because every decision, good or bad, comes at a cost. The question is, what is the benefit? The rule of thumb is if the benefits outweigh the cost, then it's a sound decision. You're getting a positive return on your investment. But to understand BCR, which is benefit over cost ratio, we need to understand that there are multiple types of costs. Um, I've outlined four different types of costs to reflect on before making a decision, and I'll explain those a little bit here. So the first one is obvious. It's financial cost. What is the most people think of, which is what most people think of when contemplating costs? For example, is it worth the money? Will it make us more money than it costs us? Or will it save us money? Right? So those are some things to think about. The second type of cost is people cost. You have to consider your actions because they're always going to affect somebody, whether it's positive or negative, your team, your family, your clients, your friends. Will it bring them more value or will it take it away? And if it takes away value, how will you justify that decision? Another type of cost is opportunity cost. Basically, when you choose to do or buy one thing, then you are giving up the option to do or buy other things, whatever they may be. You may not know what they are. So you got to ask, is the potential outcome of this opportunity greater than the other opportunities that you're foregoing? And the last type of cost, and this is huge to me, is time cost, which is very simple. Is the potential outcome of this decision going to outweigh the cost that, of my time that it'll take to do it? Now, I've, I've written a blog and I've recorded a podcast on time management, so feel free to reference some of the older episodes to get it, um, but you can revisit that later. So the fourth way to think and act like an owner is to periodically ask yourself, what's not working? Or more practically, create a to don't list. Now, I believe we're creatures of habit, and that's a great thing in most instances. It creates consistency and productivity in life and in the workplace, but it can sometimes be a double-edged sword. Technology advances, people grow, procedures shift, clients need change, Companies evolve, and so should you, right? So periodically, I would say every month or so, it's important to block out an hour in your schedule to simply ask yourself the question, what's not working? Or what do I need to put on my to-don't list? If you work with or lead a small team, I would get them involved and set a meeting to discuss this question, but only get with your team after you've assessed personally yourself, Here's my three-step process of elimination in, in terms of creating a to-don't list or finding out what's not working. And the first thing is eliminate. What can I eliminate from my day-to-day -day that won't negatively affect anyone? Basically, what am I doing that has simply become a habit, but it's not necessary at this point? The second thing is automate. Once you've eliminated one or two or three or four things, then you can ask yourself, what part of my daily routine can be automated to free up more time to work on other things. And the last thing is delegate. So once you've eliminated, once you've automated, now's the time to delegate. What am I doing that I should delegate to others within my team? Have you brought on more people that are capable of absor absorbing more of your responsibilities? Is your team growing in a way to where you can afford to empower them with some of your roles? It's a great question to ask yourself. Again, I've, I've written a blog and recorded a podcast on how to master delegation, so feel free to go back and check that out after this show. So once you've assessed this personally, whether it's in your personal life or your work life, then assess it as a team. All you gotta do is, in the question, 
is change the word I to the word we and go from there. Now, the last step, step five in creating an ownership mentality is ABC. It's an acronym that means always be closing. This is more of a mindset than it is a practice. So when I used to work in sales specifically and eventually as a GM for a large health club chain in in the U.S., we did periodic sales training. One of the acronyms that they drilled into us was ABC, which of course means always be closing. I've carried that mindset into everything in life, just with slightly different context. To me, that acronym is sort of transformed and it means to always look for opportunity in every situation and then close on it. Someone who takes ownership of their craft doesn't wait for others to close. They do it themselves. This translates from sales to negotiating, to customer service, and even to adversity in life. So if you're on the phone with someone who's struggling to navigate on your website and you answer their questions, you always got to make sure to ask for the sale. Alternatively, if you're experiencing an unexpected downturn from economic conditions that are out of your control, kind of like what we're dealing with right now, you simply have to ask yourself, what is the opportunity in this and how do I close on it? So those are the five ways um, that you can begin to think and act like an owner. But just to recap, the first way is always ask, what would blank do? And you're just going to insert your leader or your boss's name or someone that you really highly respect. The second thing is never stop learning. The third way is to count the costs of every decision. The fourth is periodically ask yourself what's not working and then create a to don't list. And the last way is to always be closing. Guys, I hope that teaching brought you value today. Um, I hope it increases your capacity as a performer, whether or not you're a leader, an employee, because at the end of the day, you're still leading yourself. And I think that's the most important thing in the world. Again, if this show has brought you value, if the content was noteworthy, please make sure to share it on whatever platforms you spend your time on. Scroll down to the bottom and leave a review. And then, of course, hit me up on Instagram if you have any feedback or any questions or if you'd like to just propose a topic for me to teach on. I'd love to hear about it. My Instagram is at Jared Axel Grabiel. Thanks again. And until next time, you guys have a good day. Love you.